You know, uh, I uh, preached my first sermon when I was 18 years old. I was ordained a Baptist minister when I was 19. I was at that time pastoring a church. But the Lord has taken me in myriad ways and places and times. But every time I've gotten to a particular place, there has been a ministry there that he's had waiting for me. And I haven't always, it hasn't always been preaching in a church. A good deal of it had to do with teaching and administrating in schools. But I was able to bring evangelists into my school to speak to, speak to high school students, allow them to leave campus and go over to a church to hear a, a powerful evangelistic speaker. And you couldn't do that in California these days. <laughs> Somebody would complain. <laughs> we're, we're full of a lot of people who are critical in this world. But when we walk in the presence of God, we have to put aside criticism. We have to look for the beauty, the power, the grace that's around us. And Psalms 145:18 says, "The Lord is close to all who call on him. Yes, to all who will call on him sincerely." God is close to his people, to those who love him, who seek him, who talk with him, and who will listen to him all the time. Jeremiah 30, 23, 23 in the New Century Version reads, I am a God who is near, says the Lord. I'm also a God who is far away. And whether he's near or whether he's far away doesn't depend on God. It depends on us. I find that I need to live my life so that God is near at my right hand, so that he is walking beside me and is part of all that I do and I think. But too often we push God away. We're deaf to that still, small voice. We fail to hear the rustling leaves of God's presence, of God's power, and we stumble into lonely pits of despair placed there by the arch deceiver. For those of us who push God away, he is indeed a distant, silent, impersonal, unapproachable abstraction. However, to leave abundantly as we were created to live, we need to walk in God's presence. For in God's presence, there is transforming power. In God's presence, there is practical power. And in God's presence, there is spiritual power. 
God is present. But the choice to walk with him in the power of his presence, in the power of his spirit, is yours and mine. In God's presence, there is transforming power. That's not anything new. I've seen God change people from alcoholics and addicts to church leaders and pastors. I've seen God change people from abusers to loving pillars in their families. I've seen God change atheists to powerful witnesses for Jesus Christ. God transforms those who will allow him to come close and walk with him. You know, remember the story of uh, Jacob and Esau and the transforming power of God working in that story? In the Genesis account, Esau came in exhausted and hungry from the hunt and sold his birthright, his inheritance, to Jacob for a bowl of stew. Esau's rashness and his disdain for cattle, land, and responsibility and is, is evident at that point. But Esau was Isaac's favorite, and Jacob was Rebekah's favorite. It was a house divided, but Rebekah made it worse when she conspired with Jacob to steal his brother's blessing dressing him up in sheepskin. <laughs> but Jacob's name meant deceiver or usurper. And he certainly was that before God became real to him. God had already told Rebekah that Jacob was going to prevail, that he was going to be the more powerful of her two sons, of the twins. She didn't have to deceive an old man to make God's word come to pass. What she really did was to complete the schism between the brothers. We have a tendency to play Rebecca sometimes when we see something we feel God wants to bring to pass for us or our family or our friends. But we think God needs a little help. And we get involved in gossip or conniving in some way or other to make sure it happens. <laughs> I have fell into that trap when I applied for a promotion from assistant principal to principal at Cristobal High School. I tried to stir up a bit of antagonism, hoping that it would influence the selection committee. <laughs> I later discovered that the administrator that I was trying to block didn't even apply. The job was mine all the time. <laughs> when Esau later discovered that his brother had stolen his blessing, you can feel his anguish and anger when he said, No wonder his name is Jacob, for he deceived me twice, first taking my birthright and now stealing my blessing. When Rebekah learned that Esau was plotting to kill Jacob, as soon as Isaac died, she sent Jacob fleeing to her brother Laban's household 
Now the house was really divided, and she does not see her favorite son alive again. Jacob spent 20 years with Laban, amassing family and fortune until he began to fear Laban and decided it was time to go home. On the way, he heard that Esau was coming with 400 armed men to meet him. Jacob uh, sent presents to Esau to try to assuage the situation and sent all the, uh, the rest of his camp across the Jabbok River. He alone remained in camp. During the night, Jacob struggled, wrestled, contended, and attempted to prevail with God. Ultimately, he was reduced to just clinging, just holding on, and saying, I won't let you go until you bless me. Jacob realized that without God, he was nothing. The angel of the Lord not only blessed Jacob, but he said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, no longer be called deceiver, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Jacob got close to God, and God blessed him. When you get close to God, his presence will bless you whether the situation around you is good or evil, you will be blessed. God wants to bless his people, but we have to get close to him. We have to desire his blessing so deeply that we're willing to struggle, to entreat, to pray, even to shed tears for the power and presence of God and his spirit in our lives. I faced crises in my life when I thought God was taking me the wrong way. And I tried going it alone. Pastor, teacher, administrator, soldier, chaplain, counselor, elder. In each place, I found God had a purpose and a use for me. And regardless of where you are, God has a purpose and a place for you. George Walker was an alcoholic, agnostic, depressed, suicidal Panama Canal pilot. But the Lord touched him, and I was there in his house sometime after 9 o'clock at night. George had walked into the church where I was pastor in the, after my sermon had started sat on the back row in the closest seat to the door and uh, when he went out he uh, patted his, his, his hip pocket and said I, I've got a gun I was on the way to commit suicide and I just thought I'd stop here for a moment but I'll be back. Later on, after a service, George says, Pastor, if somebody wanted to get right with God and, and called you in the middle of the night, would you 
Go out to their house and see them? I said, yes. And sure enough, one night at 9 o'clock, he called me and I drove the 8 or 10 miles to his house. And he said, yeah, it's time. And he had the gun on the sofa there just so I could see it. Yeah, there it is, there it is. But he said, now I want, I want God. I want him to be a part of my life. We prayed and he prayed and and then George became the most striking witness for Jesus among the pilots and the crews of the ships that he piloted through the Panama Canal. People came to me and said, what happened to George? <laughs> God happened. And you know, twice, the, the faith that George developed was was a healing faith. And the presence of God in his life was a healing presence. For a number of years, he had such a, a, a bone spur or something in his shoulder. I think it was his left shoulder, too. Uh, and he couldn't raise it more than this, this high. And in a, a, a men's weekend retreat... While everyone was praising and raising their arms, the Lord touched him and his arm went up like so. And all the pain was gone forever in that arm. <laughs> and uh, uh, George was, uh, was when, he was going, when he would go out to, the, to get on the ships to take them through the canal, they had a launch. It was a pretty fair-sized boat uh, that would take the pilots out, move up against the, the ship, and then the pilot was supposed to climb up this rope ladder to get on the ship. Well, it was a little windy one day, and uh, the, the waves were such that as he got on the ladder, it caused the launch to catch his leg, his knee, between the launch and the ship. They at once said, we need to take you to the hospital. It was a Sunday morning. He said, no, I'm not going to the hospital. I'm going to church. <laughs> because the Lord placed on his heart that if he went to church and asked me to pray for his knee, it would be healed. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, when I... Uh, pulled into church. George usually didn't get there real early, but he was early this time, and he was kind of working his way one foot at a time up the steps of the church. He got inside and sat down, and he said, Pastor, come here. And he said, lay your hand on my knee and ask God to heal it, and it will be healed. Well... I laid my hand on his, on his knee and prayed, and I went on to teach a Sunday school class before church. And uh, after church, uh, we locked up and got everything ready and started out of town, out of Gatoon, where the church had moved to. Uh, and uh, there goes George, running down the road. <laughs> Not a limp in a bit. <laughs> and he never had.
had another problem with our knee. God works in the lives of those who have his presence with them. God's presence is also a practical power. It works in the real life. David found power to defeat the Philistines in God's presence with him. 2 Samuel 6, 17 through 25 tells of David's battles with the Philistines right after he became king of, of uh, Israel. Hearing that David was the new king in Israel, the Philistines tried to sneak up and capture David. David uh, discovered their plot, since he was close to God, <laughs> and asked the Lord if he should fight or not. The Lord instructed him to go ahead, and he would be given the victory. The Philistines were defeated, but then in a little bit they regrouped going to go back again. But once again, David asked the Lord what to do. The Lord said, don't attack them straight on. Instead, circle around behind them and attack near the mulberry trees. When you hear a sound like marching feet in the tops of the mulberry trees, attack. It will be the signal that the Lord is moving ahead of you to strike down the Philistines. David did as, the, as God commanded and struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. We need not only to be in the presence of God, but to be close to him, we have to have an intimate relationship with him. And we need to consult him regarding our daily problems and decisions. Daily time with God prepares us for the crises of life, the temptations of the world, and the attacks of Satan. When I was principal of Cristobal High School, the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Margarita came to me and asked if I would serve as a bivocational pastor of their church. Still be the principal of the high school, but also the pastor of the church. I needed God's uh, direction. At the time, I was an elder in a non-denominational charismatic church. And, uh, uh, but I sought God's counsel. And I sensed that there was a problem in the leadership in the, in the Baptist church that had to be solved. And I waited until the situation clarified. And God said, now. And then I served as their pastor for about five years. They were years full of blessings as I saw God work in many lives, not just George Walker's. One young army wife whom I baptized could not have children. She had exhausted the medical resources available in the command and had been sent to Walter Reed for intervention, but without success. We prayed for her and saw the practical power of God work in her life. She left Panama pregnant with her first child. 
She's still a friend with me on Facebook and has three grown daughters and a son <laughs> and is a spirit-filled pillar in her church. God works in the lives of people who are close to him. However, we need to listen for his signals all the time. You know, I, I talk about the fact that this young woman had children, but I've seen other cases where sterile women had children after I asked God to, to give them a child. God's concerned for every aspect of our life. I've seen God, God's practical power his love and concern healed tachycardia, asthma, thyroid cancer, light cell myeloma, migraine headaches, and more and more and more. He is a healer of those who love him, who walk with him, who, have, who are willing to follow his instructions, his directions. You know, we, we need to, to listen for his signals to act because as I've worked with people, every time I want someone to be healed, that doesn't work. It's God who chooses, who knows the whole situation, and uh, who makes the, the decision. Yes, somebody says, pray for me, I... Okay, whether I sense that it's God's message to me to pray for him for healing, I'll pray for him because maybe God has laid it on them, as, it, as he did with George Walker, that I should pray for them. But we need to listen for his signal to act. We, we have to discern when God has prepared the way. I'm sure the, the noise in the top of the trees was not deafening, nor did it attract the Philistines' attention. But to David, to a man tuned to hear from God, it was a bugle call to act. And when we're tuned to hear God's message, even if it's a whisper, we hear it. Usually God's voice is not overpowering. We have to learn to recognize it, distinguish it from our own desire, differentiate it from the storms of life, separate it from the economic earthquakes around us, and discern God's voice in the midst of false and passionate fire of Satan and the world. It was not easy for me to learn to distinguish between my desires and God's purposes. When I was studying for the ministry, I was asked to preach in a small Missouri church in DeWitt, along the banks of the Missouri River, in view of a call. I went, I preached. The church met after the evening sermon to decide what they would do. I waited outside in my 47 Ford X police special. 
<laughs> that I got used. And an old deacon came out to my car where I waited to find out the result of the vote. And he told me that I had been called to be their pastor. Well, maybe I ought to pray about this. Well, Lord, what? what? I, didn't, I didn't hear anything. But then I, I said, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the next time I showed up in that church, I found out how bad that decision was. And that was my shortest pastorate, one week. <laughs> I, I, I resigned <laughs> immediately when I saw the real situation. <laughs> you don't want to start in a group where the, the vote is, is 21 to 20. <laughs> uh, uh, again, Going back to the Old Testament, the Old Testament and the New Testament complement each other, and I, I love to see the way God worked in the Old Testament. They have, uh, um, but uh, the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament gives us a lesson on relating to God's presence. The Ark was a symbol of God's presence in Israel, a symbol of God's love, God's grace, and God's power. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Boom. The Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant from Israel in the time of Eli. They took it. By the way, that's one, an answer to one of the blanks. <laughs> they took it to Ashdod and placed it in the temple of Dagon. Well, Dagon kept falling face down in front of the ark until it was broken into pieces. Then a plague of tumors affected the area. Suddenly, Ashdod got anxious to get rid of the ark. When no other Philistine city would take it, they sent the ark back to Israel. But when the ark was returned to Israel, the people of Beth Shemeth, where it uh, landed, were curious and lacking respect for things of God. And they looked in the ark, and 70 of them died. They then asked the people of Kiriath-Jerim to come and get the ark. When God is close, and we are lukewarm, casual, cavalier, and curious, we cannot expect God's blessing. The ark ended up in the house of Abinadab and his son, Eleazar, in charge of it. It remained there 20 years. When David tried to have the ark back to Jerusalem, again, the ark was handled carelessly, and Uzzah put his hand on the ark to steady it, and he died. To walk in the presence of the Lord, we have to show respect for the things of God, the word of God, and the directions God gives us. David gave up that plan and took the ark to the home of Obed-Edom, a Philistine who, of Gath, who was a servant of David. where it was placed in a special house of, his, of its own. And it was there for three months. And God blessed all of the house of 
Obed-Edom. The respect this foreigner had placed in the, for the presence of God and the honor he gave the Lord brought blessings to his family. When David saw that the ark and the presence of God was indeed a blessing when handled appropriately, he had the ark carefully brought to Jerusalem. The ark was carried to Jerusalem on the shoulders of the priest, a position of honor above man. They stopped over and over to offer sacrifices to God. It was a journey of sacrifice, honor, and praise. Our journey into God's presence involves sacrifice, honor, and praise. Sacrifice, you say? <laughs> when I was uh, 12 or 13, I, I was mowing yards in Missouri every week for 50 cents a yard. And my father pointed out to me that I needed to give a nickel of each 50 cents as a tithe to the Lord. Well, at that particular time, that nickel probably was greater to me than the hundreds of dollars that I give <laughs> each month now. But it was, a, it was a lesson to me that I needed to acknowledge God's presence and be willing to sacrifice for him. But we also sacrifice when we spend our time in church, in service for, for, for Jesus, in praise and worship. That's a sacrifice that we're giving freely, that we take our energy and instead of using it all for ourselves, give a portion of it to God. And God honors that sort of uh, sacrifice. During this time, as they were singing and praising and the music was playing, David was so overcome by joy and God's spirit that he danced before the Lord with all of his might in spontaneous praise, throwing aside his outer cloak. The king danced before the ark because the ark was more important and more deserving than, of honor than the king or the king's position. The God is more important to us today than political correctness or being right with a, with a political party, or any of those things are, he needs priority in our lives. God's presence is more important than any preacher, any leader, any man. And the first step to walking in the presence of God is honoring God appropriately. Finally, God's presence is spiritual power. I've seen God touch and heal people with spiritual and or phys uh, psychological problems from demon possession to schizophrenia, from bipolar syndrome to severe PTSD. Prayer, godly counseling, changed lives. There was a young man with uh, schizophrenia diagnosed by the psychiatrist and 
who, who came to the uh, hacienda where I was serving as counselor and chaplain. And I, I began to counsel him. And I always begin my counseling sessions with a prayer, asking that the presence of God become real to the person that I was working with. And at the end of each session, I, I ask the God to deal with the problems that we have identified in that session. And a couple of months after we had started uh, working with him, he had a, a, a scheduled appointment with uh, the, uh, the court. The court had taken away his two daughters, said that you can't, you, you can't handle them because you can't tell reality from your dream world. Well, he had, he had lost his dream world and become able to see reality and deal with it. So I wrote a letter <laughs> to the court detailing what we had done and the change between when he came to me and after God worked with him, what he had become. The court gave him back his two daughters. <laughs> Powerful sort of thing. And with a young man who had PTSD after serving in Vietnam in a situation where he, with a, a, a captain of his platoon, were in a, a, a little gun battle in a, in a village. And uh, the captain, he was ahead of him, stepped around the corner and the Viet Cong blew his head off, and the captain's head landed in this man's stomach as he fell backwards. And that, that scene kept flashing. He couldn't get rid of it. And, and he, would, he would wake up screaming. Or if somebody touched him, he thought it was the Viet Cong. Again, working with him a few months after God touched him, God changed him, God transformed him, and the bad dreams were gone. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. David was a commoner, not royalty when he came into the presence of the Lord. But spiritual insight and power came to rest upon him. We're all commoners when we come into the presence of the Lord, but God is no respecter of persons. Whoever will may come and receive the Lord, may receive his blessings, his healing, his spirit, his power, and his spiritual gifts. David went home after dancing in the spirit with the blessing of God upon him to bless his house. And he discovered an angry, critical, shrewish, shrewish, offended wife. 
Mikael had no concept of the presence of God, no experience of the power of God, no respect for the holiness of God. Man, don't commit your life or your love to a person like that. Mikael understood human status, social position, and regal glory. The king's dignity was the most important, significant, work, work, worthwhile, meaningful thing to her. Mikael came out to meet David and said in disgust, how glorious the king of Israel looked today. He exposed himself to the servant girls like an indecent person might do. David understood that spiritual power is more significant than any power a king may exercise. David shot back at Mikael. I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and your family. He appointed me leader of Israel, the people of the Lord. So I'm willing to act like a fool to show my joy in the Lord. Yes, and I'm willing to look even more foolish than this. But I will be held in honor by the girls of whom you've spoken. The sixth chapter of Samuel ends, So Michael, the daughter of Saul, remained childless through her lifetime. Mikael had stopped the blessing through her criticism, a criticism that reflected a deep resentment and antagonism not only to her husband David but toward God who took the kingship away from her father and her family. Even with the with God at your side, there are going to be times of struggle, pain, and distress. But he will walk with you and bring light in the midst of darkness. If we become critical or cynical, the flow of God's blessings into our lives is shut off. You can't really listen and apply a sermon and criticize it at the same time. You can't really praise God and criticize the music chosen, the musician leading the music, or the instruments playing the accompaniment. You can't hear God speak if you're criticizing his messenger, rejecting his message, or doubting his methods. You can't receive God's healing touch if you're filled with a critical unbelief or a rejection of the servant sent to heal you. Yes. When your heart is open, as David's heart was open, you will know when you come into God's presence, in church, on the highway, in your place of prayer, walking in a crowded mall, watching a movie, or alone in a mountain forest. God will meet you wherever you are if you can open your heart and concentrate on him. Our busy lives and our jackrabbit thought processes make it hard for us to open our hearts 
and to know that God is with us. It's hard for many to find God because they don't have one time a day to focus on him. Even if he is with you, if you don't focus on him, you'll not recognize his presence or sense his direction. If you don't ask him for direction, he won't give it. Practice the presence of the Lord in your life. Talk to him and listen for his direction dozens of times each day, and his presence will multiply from dozens to scores, and then from scores, maybe even to hundreds. I sense that God is here. God is here this morning. And as you've heard the words, has God spoken to you? Do you sense that there's something that God wants to accomplish in your life? Is there a healing that you need? And you said, now, now is the time. Now, this is the moment that he wants, that he wants to move in my life. I'd ask you to bow your heads and look into inside and say, Lord, is there something that you want me, some act you want me to take here at the end of this message? Lord, is now the time to heal this situation, this, this disease, this debilitating thing in my bones, Lord. And if you sense that God has this moment for a healing, just lift your hand to say, Lord, I'm here. I believe. I'm ready. Let it happen now. Let it happen now. And as God's power, his present power, moves through this congregation, he will touch. He will touch. You will sense his touch. His touch. Not my touch. His touch. I see those hands. God sees those hands. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But there is still, for many of us, other things, other concerns besides a healing that we want, that we need God to, to act in. And if you sense that God wants you to use this time to come for prayer, come to, to share a need, and wait, for, wait upon him for an answer to your need. I'm going to have the, the, the prayer team come. I'm going to be down below. Do you all stand and open up your eyes and look around and 
but open up your heart to see what it is that God has for you. And I'm going to pray, and then those of you who feel a need will come, and God will work in your life. Lord, I thank you for your presence, that you are present here, and that your presence is available for every person here. If they'll even just say, even now come, even now come, God, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, into my life, come. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for that presence. And now as some of us go forth, go with a blessing for our household. And as others come for prayer, Lord, come down with a blessing for each one and touch them, Lord, with your transforming presence, with your present presence, and with your spiritual power and presence. In the name of Jesus, and we all say, Amen. Amen. Dance a new dance.